Episode 5, Billy Taylor, retired Goodyear executive and founder of Linked XL. We don't want the John Travolta Saturday Night Fever dance, but you get in the meeting, I, 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 stand alive, stand alive, right? People, once they get there, they're going to stay alive, so they're pointing their blame And for those who are listening to the audio podcast, uh, you, you might want to go check this out, find this video on YouTube so you can actually see the dance Billy was doing when he was talking about staying alive. <laughs> I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and now on with the show. And our guest today is Billy Taylor. He is a retired Goodyear executive where his roles uh, included being a plant director, being executive director of commercial manufacturing North America, and was global head of diversity and inclusion. He's now the CEO of his company, Linked XL. And Billy, I'm really glad you're here to share um, your, your lessons and experiences with us today. How are you? Very good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to share my favorite mistake uh, because it was also my favorite lesson. And, and that's so, what it's all about, right? Turning mistakes into lessons learned. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so thank you for having me. No, sure thing. So we'll, we'll jump right in. Um, what do you consider to be your favorite mistake? Well, my favorite mistake was compromising on the standard. Right. What's the guideline? What's the standard for operation? So early in my career, and I, I received my first leadership role on a large scale. Uh, I was leading approximately 600 people in a business center. And at that point, I'm this young leader around 27 years old, and I move into this role. But I'm leading people that I grew up with in the plant. And so at that point, right, you want to be liked and and at that point, you want to kind of fit in and, 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 and have the team jail. And so at that point, I started compromising on what the standards were for operating. What were the standards for leadership? Example, when I walk the plant, sometimes you see people not wearing their personal protective equipment. You know, to walk by that is compromising the standards. People coming late to meetings, uh, people coming unprepared to meetings. And, and not performing tasks. But for me, where the lesson came was my boss and my mentor would take me on a a morning walk every morning around, it was a leadership walk. And when things were out of place, he would look at me and he would point those out and say, that's not the standard. And he would always say, what you accept, you cannot change. What you tolerate, you can never change. And so at that point, I, I, it wasn't registering with me at that point. And he could see it wasn't registering with me. And as a young leader, I would give people passes. There were different standards for different players. There are different standards for the A players and the D players. And so at that point, I'm trying to go along to get along mm. as the leader. 
And at that point, I'm 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 going through this regiment, and the, the paperwork hadn't been official yet to me moving into the business in a role. I was someone in the interim role. Well, this leader calls me into a meeting, and he had this envelope in his hand, and I'm thinking I'm about to get this 15 to 30 percent raise, and I'm excited. Yeah. And he has an envelope and he writes me up for poor performance. Wow. And I was, I was, I was furious because we had performed at a, at a level that that business center hadn't seen in three or four years. However, we weren't meeting the standard. And he says to me, the letter says, you failed to meet the standard. And for that, there are severe consequences. And he handed me this, hand me this letter and I read, read it and I'm upset. And I said, but you asked me to deliver zero customer losses to my customer over a 30 day period. And he says to me, is that difficult or is it impossible? And I said, it's impossible. I mean, it's difficult, darn near impossible. Sure. He says, without a smile, then what you're telling me is it's achievable. And he hands me the letter and I walk out of his office. Now, he had also became a friend of mine as well as my mentor. And um, he called me when I got back to my office and I wouldn't answer the phone. I was so mad at him. I thought he was so unfair. And I thought he wasn't treating me right. Then he says to me, you don't own it. And when you don't own it, you want to blame. So you're blaming me for giving you a letter because you accept non-conformance standard. That changed my life. That, that, that moment, that, that letter, that surprise, that was a wake up call, it sounds like. Absolutely, because your standards shape your culture and culture controls strategy. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's ironic, over time I shifted. And what I realized when I started holding people uh, accountable for the standard, right? The lessons learned was, again, one, what you accept, you can't change. A standard, it should be enforced all the time, every time, with everyone, consistently. Yeah. And so what I realized is when I started to progress through my career, when I went into new organizations, the way that you shape culture is adhere to your standard. Don't compromise on your standard because you're compromising on yourself. Even when your personal existence, when you compromise who you are and what you represent, right? You diminish yourself. Right. You personally diminish yourself and you undervalue yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but later on, what's, what's interesting, Mark, I had a chance to, to, to transition from the student to being the teacher. And so now I'm in a role and I'm leading North America and commercial. And I had a plant manager whom I went to his facility on numerous occasions to coach and help develop him. And I had two questions I would ask leaders that are allowing non-conformances. I would ask the first question is, what do you need from me? The second question is, why do you accept that? Now, why do I say that? I have to be a part of the solution first. Mm-hmm. When I went to this plant, it was probably the third visit. 
And I realized this plant manager is not holding his team accountable to the standards. And so we're failing to improve. And I show up with my backpack and the picture of my family in my backpack. And I say, hi, how are you doing, sir? He says, great. I said, do you know why I'm here this visit? He says, yes, you're here to help. I said, no. No. That was the last two visits. I said, see this picture? This is a picture for me to make a decision. I have to make a decision who's going to eat, you or them. Mm. You are my family. I want to leave this on your desk throughout my whole visit as a constant reminder of why it's important to hold people accountable to the standard because it's a way of life. And I said, may I take the picture of your family with me to my hotel room because apparently I love them more than you do. Okay. Thereafter, this leader totally transitioned from an accountability perspective And even today, he is now changing cultures. But the standard is the standard. Mm -hmm. So when you start to build in standard work, uh, processes and procedures, you have to adhere to them. Right. If you don't, failure is imminent. Right. So I want to go back to, you know, that moment where you you had that awakening, your, uh, your boss gave you that wake up call. How did you translate that into action? You earlier, you talked about not holding people accountable to let's say wearing their safety glasses. How did you start taking steps um, toward holding people to standard? And how, how did you learn then to, to coach others to that? But starting with yourself, what, what actions did you take after that meeting? I went back and I took a page from Simon Sinek's book. Start with why. Mm-hmm. Why are the standards important? Why are we doing the standards? And I brought my team together collectively and we recalibrated. And it wasn't something I was doing that was punitive. It was actually bringing them together for alignment, right? Because the best leaders do three things very well when you're building standards. Define winning. Once you define winning, align winning. And once you have alignment, then you can truly execute winning. Mm -hmm. And so when when I went back, the lesson learned was, was I very clear on my expectations of what the standards were? And then I let everyone know what your role was on alignment. Here's what you own. Because in the absence of ownership comes blame. Sure. And so then at that point, the next time I was very fair about with, uh, what the expectations were or what the standards were with extreme clarity. And then I started holding people accountable. Yeah. And so when we talk about creating a climate where people learn from mistakes, what, what are some things that you did as uh, an executive at Goodyear um, to, to help try to create that environment where we, you know, you, you probably know the old Toyotaism of no problems is a problem, mm-hmm. right? So how do we bring, make it safe for people to bring up problems, to um, admit mistakes in the name of learning and progress? Celebrate the red. And so at that point, create a cultural psychological safety Mm. where it's safe to bring things to my attention because I don't expect perfection because perfection doesn't exist. But what I do expect is transparency. And I wanted to create an environment where they could come to me with real issues instead of hide them. Right. Alan Malloy says in his book, 
right? Uh, you can't manage a secret. Hmm. And if, if people are hiding things, then you can't manage them. You can't fix them. You can't correct them. And the only way they're going to bring those things up is you create an environment where it's safe to bring those things up. Right. And it's not punitive. So when people bring things to me as a leader, I celebrate them. Now, I don't accept them for saying, hey, we like mistakes. Right. I love the fact that you brought those mistakes and those errors to me. And that's the only way we can mistake proof mm-hmm. by knowing what the issue is. Yeah. And and for listeners and viewers who might not be familiar with the concept, I think this is really powerful. Can, can you talk about, practically speaking, what does that mean to mistake-proof work or error-proof work? That, that's a really important concept. Absolutely. Mistake-proofing is going in, is, and it's almost the PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act, right? You go in and you identify what the issue is, right? And in some cases, just for those lean geeks out there, it's right, Six Sigma. Some of you've heard of that, a continuous improvement, right? You're the MAIC, right? And so when we go through that, define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And for me, it's one, a common language when I start to mistake proof. I go in and identify what the issue is, and then I really zero in on the root cause of that issue. Why did that issue happen? And then we start to put processes and, and systems in place to eliminate that from ever happening again, to mistake proof it. If it's my child that's getting into a cabinet, I put a latch on there, I put a lock on there so that my child cannot get into that unsafe chemicals that will poison them. And so that's mistake proofing at home. Mistake proofing at work is the same thing. How do I eliminate situations uh, or, or conditions that are gonna cause the adverse impact to productivity. Right. And and I think there are different types of mistakes. There are mistakes we make as individuals, as professionals that lead to learning. Um, But from, let's say, a manufacturing standpoint or in healthcare, there are certain mistakes that need to be prevented. It depends on um, what the consequences are of those mistakes. Um, we, we don't want to let somebody learn from experience that wearing your safety glasses is necessary. We, we'd rather prevent that injury than Absolutely. learn from it, right? You know, I grew up in a real firm household. My mother uh, was a stickler to the standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often tell a story when I played football in the eighth grade, I, they called me BT Express or Touchdown Taylor. And I would get six touchdowns a game in the eighth grade. And everybody thought, man, this kid's going to play in the NFL one day. My mother had a standard that if we made less than a B, we could not play. Okay. I made an F once. And notice I said once. Um, I brought that report card home, and it was a week before the city championship game. We were undefeated. Getting ready to play for the city championship game. My mother took me off the team. They played the game without me. Now, the school rules said, or the school standards said, you could fail two classes and still be eligible, but not in our household. That was not her standard. My mother made it very clear. NFL in our house meant not for long will you be playing, okay? And she took me off the team. And it was the best thing she ever did for me. When she established that standard, and I'll tell you, it changed my life. And so... 
Standards are important. They help develop your team. They provide structure for your team. And, and, and when you don't enforce the standards, you're doing your team a disinjustice. Mm-hmm. You're hurting them. And you don't change culture. Uh, as a plant manager once, I went to a plant in North Carolina. They were struggling. And my first day when I went to see reality, I didn't have a bad team. I had a misaligned team, a team that didn't have structure or standards or adhere to standards. And guess what? That's where we focus. And, you know, we bought everybody in the team a jersey to define winning, number 38. Why? They were making 31,000 tires a day, and the company needed a minimum of 36,000 tires a day. What I want to provide clarity around, here is the target condition. Here's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And now let's assess our current condition. And we knew where the gaps were. And we used standards to close the gap. We knew standards to shape the culture. We used standards to recognize people. And we celebrated the process, not the individual. So, See, the process is a standard. So tell us more about that when you say celebrating the process. The people, in a way, are a part of the process. But what, how do you distinguish between celebrating the process? Tell us more about so, that. Let's use if it's a continuous improvement event or activity or a Kaizen event. Well, we bring the team in to present their project. But we want to know what was the method in the process that you used to get the results, right? And so when they present out the process they use and show us the games, then we recognize and embrace the individual. And so now... The, evangel- the, the, the individual becomes an evangelist for the process. Mm-hmm. They walk back out in the work, or work area and say, this was great. And we presented in front of Billy and the team. And I can't wait to do the next process, yeah. improvement activity. Right. And so that's what I mean by you celebrate, uh, celebrate the process, embrace the individual. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want heroes. Now, what a hero is in manufacturing or operations, they help everyone redirect ownership. They create fires so that they can be recognized. When you start recognizing the individual, then they start creating heroic moments. We don't want that. So by preventing the the need or by preventing those heroic moments, the whole team ends up doing better. Absolutely. And that's not only a continuous improvement process, but it's a continuous improvement mindset. Yeah. Right. And people dis- discard the, the, the mindset part of it. Um, I'm working with a client now and you're, they're seeing the shift. They're, they're seeing the, the big movement and it's based on the cultural shift and the people are buying in. And I have to tell you what's been really eye opening for me as moving from behind the table as the operator to the partner to helping others mm-hmm. is you start with the people. You start with that base and that's where the shift starts. Yeah. Right. I can give you the best computer in the world, but if you don't have a good uh, operator, someone's bought into it, yeah. you have a problem. So tell us more um, before we wrap up about the work that you're doing now um, as as a, a consultant, um, as a CEO of LinkedIn XL. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what, what types of clients do you work with? What types of situations are you getting pulled into now? This is perfect. I, uh, linked XL, uh, really what it stands for is linked excellence. Mm-hmm. So how do you link your organization linking functions and tiers so that you can manage the intersections of your business? And so what we do, we are a business operating system architect firm. We go in and build this operating system based on your need and your culture. And it's not a one size fits all. So what we've learned is we don't go in and say, here, here's how Toyota did it. You should do it that way. Or here's how uh, Toyota Kata did it. Here's how you should do it. We say, here's some, some tools so that you can build your own based on your cultural need. And what we do is we go in and we start, we build, we build a purpose map. We start with your purpose map. And it's really your strategy on a page. And then what we do is build your performance map. Who's at every intersection? Because we want an owner so that we can stop the pointing, right? We don't want the John Travolta Saturday Night Fever dance, right? You get in the meeting, I, 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 stand alive, stand alive, right? People, once they get there, they're going to stay alive, so they're pointing, they're blaming. But if you put everybody at the intersection, that's when the shift starts. And so what we do is, we build an operating system or business operating system that basically cascades through the functions, safety, quality, delivery, cost to the tiers, value stream one, value stream two, and the organization is linked. Yeah. And so now it's easy to manage the intersections. Yeah. And so that's what we do. Clients are, we work with Note Printing Australia, the people that make uh, the currency for Australia, Australia. Uh, Peter Ballas and his team, uh, we flew over to Australia and worked with them. Uh, PPG Cleveland, uh, work with PPG and Continental Structural Plastics, which makes the Carvet body, the Jeep parts. And, and so we've had some major clients and we have seen some extraordinary results um, really in a short time. But what I tell people is follow the process. And I say it's like baking a cake, 350 degrees, 30 minutes, not 400 degrees, 15 minutes. We'll do it faster. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's 350 <laughs> degrees, 30 minutes. Follow the process until you earn the right to change the standard. Now, standards are not monuments, but you have to earn the right with something better. And for those who are listening to the audio podcast, um, you, you might want to go check this out, find this video on YouTube so you can actually see the dance Billy was doing when he was talking about staying alive. <laughs> on the yeah, podcast, I, I you can hear it. myself there, but... Uh. Well, <laughs> but I think, I, I think people can appreciate that dynamic when there's, there's blame and shifting of responsibility. That doesn't create a learning opportunity for individuals that doesn't create a learning organization, which then gets in the way of success. Absolutely. And, and as a leader, what I say, I want to go back to my uh, going back to culture control strategy. Culture is built off of standards, right? And it, it's letting people be their organic self within the standard, right? I, I, I as chief diversity officer, uh, I embrace the fact that people can be, their holistic self, bring their holistic self to work. But there are standards that go to doing so. And 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 so with that being said, uh, one of the lessons learned around don't compromise on the standard is the same thing I tell my daughter. 
what's your standard? The, and I tell her, the best you're going to get out of a guy is the first 30 days. If he's not doing it in the first 30 days, you're never going to do it. I said, what's your standard? And, and don't compromise on your standards. Sure. And, and, and then so I don't compromise on my standards as a person, as a leader, how people treat me. And, you know, Mark, you're a perfect example. I used a lot of your slides and uh, some of your, the, the board slide with the dogs and, the, yeah. and, and, and I use some of your material. Yeah. yeah, it's a cartoon. And, and I benchmark because you do a great job of, 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 of breaking down the concept. So when you build a, a standard, people understand it. Yeah. And what I really loved about your slide was the fact that when I'm teaching visual management boards, I'm thinking, am I putting a visual management board up because it's something management wants to see? or something that people need and that's the example that you use around building the standard practicality for the standard yeah because it's not your standard i work for the team they don't work for me as a leader i work for them but i have standards yeah. okay and so that's that's it in a nutshell yeah. Well, I will, I'll, I'll post that cartoon that Billy is referring to. I'll put that in the show notes. That's something from a couple of years ago and uh, you'll just have to, to, to go and, and see that. But, uh, and, and Billy, so again, our guest has been Billy Taylor. He's now CEO of his firm linked XL. Billy, where can people find you online, learn more, reach out and connect if they want to work with you? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm available out there at LinkedIn, LinkedIn I'm sorry. And I, I respond back to emails that are, are, are comments. So please connect with me. Uh, if you have a question, uh, you want to talk to me, send me an email. On weekends, I sit around and, and I, I go back through my social media and try to respond to people. And go to the website, www.linkedxl.com, and you'll see a lot of literature of what we do and how we do it. And, and uh, again, there's an opportunity to connect there as well. So we're available out there through social media and we're available through our website and then my phone number's there. So I hope people will reach out. And if they're, if uh, they're looking for you on LinkedIn, they can search for Billy Ray Taylor. Yes, that's correct. You're listed there. So Billy, thank you so much for talking about your favorite mistake lessons learned around standards. It sounds like uh, your mom tried teaching you about that when you were young and, and then in the workplace, you got some good mentoring or you got, you got um, that wake up call that you responded to, learned from and, and grew off of. Absolutely. And my mentor, that person that wrote me up is still my mentor today. And so the standards, the standard. Thank you for having Thanks. me, Mark. Well, thank you for being here. And we'll all thank uh, the mentor for helping you become who you are, Billy. So thank you for sharing all that with us. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.